So for the elite white men who are making these decisions, their wives, their mistresses, their daughters are still going to have access to this healthcare choice. What they're doing is they are controlling that for other people. Welcome to the DFL Debrief. My name is Brian Evans, Communications Director of the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party. And joining us this week is not DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin, not DFL Party Research Director Will Davis, and honestly, not even myself. We figured this week, given the news about the Supreme Court ending Roe v. Wade, we would change up our show's lineup. So this week, our show will be led by DFL Party Deputy Executive Director Trista Schwind, DFL Party Voter Protection Director Simone Frierson, and DFL Party Special Events Coordinator Vicki Wright. They had a really fantastic conversation about the Supreme Court's decision and where we go from here, and I hope you uh, enjoyed as much as we did. Well, hello, hello. I am Trista Schwinn, Deputy Executive Director here at the DFL. And with me are some of our colleagues. And we're going to talk just a little bit about our thoughts and opinions and feelings over the news that we got here well, the last month and then this last week. So first, I want everyone to give a chance to say their name and their role here at the party. And then we will go ahead and give me your reaction on the ruling that came down last week. So I'm Simone Frierson, the Voter Protection Director. And I'm Vicki Wright. I'm former Party Affairs and Training Director, and now I'm in the role of Event Project Coordinator here at the DFL. Great. Vicki, why don't you kick us off? Tell me a little bit about what your experience was like last Friday as you heard the news uh, about the Supreme Court and their decision. Well, fortunately, I had seen Will Davis's uh, message to all of us to... Um, to really be thinking hard about how we wanted to phrase any reaction we had online, especially in social media and so on, uh, because I was just on fire and very upset. Um, and uh, so I really just channeled it primarily into what do we do about this? Because um, I really feel that they've they've done something really awful and they're going to do more awful things. And so we have to be organized and ready to go. But I was uh, really, really angry and um, and very disturbed about what this means for um, people of all, all kinds and in all places. Uh, we're lucky in Minnesota that it's not directly affecting us at the moment, but it was very, very um, upsetting. Yeah, and what about you, Simone? What was your experience like last week? I mean, I was in shock that this is the way the Supreme Court was going to decide. This has been a right that we've been fighting over since Roe v. Wade, since Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992. So, you know, I think um, some already knew that the decision may go this way. So I really think all of my efforts should go into how can we get the right people in office to elect to make the decisions on a state level since the federal government is now removing itself from it, at least the federal court system. I often thought about like grandparents, great-grandparents, um, and the women in my family and how this definitely disproportionately affects women of color um, and those in the LGBTQIA plus community, that it is different. This is just another form of systemic oppression and I think racism and discrimination against so many minority and underrepresented populations across the country and, you know, definitely here in Minnesota as well. So I'm not shocked that this happened, but I really think we need to move all of our energy towards the ballot box 
and prepare for election day. Yeah, I think I've moved through all seven stages of grief about three times since Friday, uh, starting with anger. And I stayed in anger and I keep returning to anger. And I am really looking for a place to channel that anger. So I'm glad I work here at the DFL. And I know that talking to candidates, donating to candidates and turning out voters is a great place to channel that momentum and that anger. And I hope others join me. But also, I want to create room for sadness and grief and, you know, the other stages that, that I'm sure a lot of folks are feeling out there and not just women. I know my husband feels the same way and is really, really disappointed in where our country's at right now. But it makes me think about my mom growing up. She was a single parent who, frankly, never should have been having a child at 22 years old and how my life would have been so different had my mom been able to choose a different path and waited to choose her parenthood until later in life. And that's a choice I've made for myself and my family. And I think over the past nine months, becoming a parent, becoming a mother has only made me more confident in my choice to be a pro-choice voter and a pro-choice woman because abortion is health care and having kids is really f- oh, gosh. hard. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, uh, we nobody should be put in that position before they're ready and before they make that choice. And I just cannot believe that... Susan Collins is still surprised by this four weeks after the leak. And for me, that really set me off last week after I heard the news. The first bit of thing I saw was Susan Collins going, oh, geez, you know, like, what the heck? You knew this was coming and you're trying to tell me that the Supreme Court lied to you when they were in your office. Of course they did. Of course they did. I mean, come on. You know, I think this is another opportunity off of what you said, Trista, to look at who represents us. In Congress, who represents us in the House, who represents us in the Senate on the federal level and also on the state level. It's not enough to just, you know, say, I want to vote for X. You need to know their party platform because this definitely is a health care issue. This is an economic issue. This is an issue, I think, of morals and beliefs. This is an issue of science. There are so many layered things that are involved in this. Um, I will say that I am not a parent, but in a previous life, I did work as a sexual assault advocate for about four or five years in the state of Iowa. And I really enjoyed that work. And one of the things that I got the privilege of doing is going with survivors of sexual assault to the hospital and going with them to their appointments when they decided that they wanted to seek termination services or if they didn't. I think this is about giving people the opportunity to make decisions about their body. So don't forget the advocates that are doing this work, that are meeting with people that have to make this really difficult decision, especially if they don't have supportive family, they don't have friends. And it's also, I think, a very isolating decision that a lot of people have to make. So don't forget about all of the nonprofits, um, Planned Parenthood, any of the ones in the state of Minnesota that are training advocates to talk to survivors about what their options are. Don't forget about the mental health professionals that are also working with survivors um, to make these tough decisions. And I think we also need to start having difficult conversations. You need to be open to, you know, talking about why this issue is important to you. Like I said, I am not a parent, but I have very strong feelings about how decisions are made about my body. Yeah, it's really interesting to me because um, I'm of a certain age and I was uh, in college in the before times, before Roe v. Wade. 
Um, and as a result, I have uh, knowledge of several friends and other students that I was in school with who um, had to make a decision about what they were going to do. And this was before there was any abortion available in the United States of America at all. Um, and uh, several of them ended up, because they were middle class or more, uh, were able to go abroad mm-hmm. and have, have uh, an abortion. And the thing that's interesting about it, and this goes to a little bit to what Simone was saying, is uh, they didn't talk about it. My, one of my closest friends is, is, was, was involved in a situation like this, and I didn't hear about it till long, long after, mm-hmm. um, because there was so much, um, there was shame involved in it, and I think that's part of what, what, what this action is trying to do, is to shame people. And I also think that there was just, it's so emotional, it's so overwhelming that uh, when people are feeling so isolated, it's hard for them to make informed decisions. And I think that's part of the whole dynamic here that alarms me so much with trying to criminalize people who might offer help or guidance um, or even a, a car ride. And that is the kind of thing that can really damage people in a very severe way in addition to everything else that we're talking about. And I think it just points to the fact that this is a lot bigger than just about abortion. And we know it's not about babies, but we know it's about basically domination of uh, various uh, people, of various different classes, Mm -hmm. races, uh, economic status, uh, sexual orientation, everything. This is just the tip of the iceberg, and we all feel it. Well, I, I think that's interesting what you brought up, Vicki, is when you what you called the before times. Banning abortion, outlying abortion doesn't stop abortion. Abortion still happens, whether it's abroad or south of the border or in dark rooms that people don't want to talk about. Abortion is still going to happen. And it's still going to be accessible for those that are in power, for those that are wealthy. So for the elite white men who are making these decisions, their wives, their mistresses, their daughters are still going to have access to this healthcare choice. What they're doing is they are controlling that for other people. And it is appalling to me that they are instituting a classist system in a standard healthcare choice. And that is how we need to frame this discussion. Abortion is healthcare. Absolutely right. Period. End of statement. Simone, you had brought up your work in Iowa, and I think we should take a little bit of a look here about some of the other states uh, and what's happening here outside of Minnesota. Because as you said, Minnesota is still a protected state. We have Doe v. Gomez that protects abortion care here in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you look at the rest of the upper Midwest, we're it, right? So so starting over, uh, Governor Walz here in Minnesota, he issued an executive order as well that would ban state agencies from cooperating in any investigation conducted for the purposes of punishing someone for seeking or receiving or providing reproductive health care services that are legal here in Minnesota. That's a really important protection when we start looking at what's going on with our neighboring states. Simone, tell us what's going on in Iowa there. I mean, abortion is still legal, but with a Republican governor and the state legislature, that could easily change. Um, Again, that's why I think we have to look to see who is in leadership in these states. Who are the states already making these decisions about removing the protections for abortion? You know, South Dakota has a trigger law banning all abortions unless the life of the pregnant person is at risk. Is it up to the legislature in South Dakota to tell a pregnant woman that her life is at risk? I don't think so, but that is where the law is there. 
yeah. in North Dakota. Similarly, in North Dakota, they have a trigger law that takes effect 30 days after Roe. And their attorney general just announced today, we're recording on Wednesday, that they are going to be activating that trigger law and that the sole clinic in North Dakota, the Red River Women's Clinic, where I used to work, has to stop performing abortions by July 29th. And they're already moving across the river. They are. They are running a capital campaign. If you're interested in donating for to assist them in moving to Minnesota, their website is redriverwomensclinic.com. Um, their GoFundMe is at three quarters of a million dollars, and they're about three quarters of the way to their goal to be able to move. And what's really important is whether they're in Fargo or they're five minutes across the river in Moorhead, they are a lifeline for people who are seeking um, health care in that region. For many folks from western North Dakota or South Dakota or those that are coming from Nebraska, to get to the Fargo-Moorhead area, that's an eight-hour drive one way. So if you are somebody who's working an hourly rate, not only is that two days off of work, gas, which is close to $5 a gallon right now to come from eight hours away, that is a huge cost on top of the health care cost that is not always covered by uh, Medicaid or by your local insurance. I'd like to also just interject something really ludicrous that I heard yesterday, and this is um, regarding what's going on in Texas, um, and that when questioned um, about how do you justify uh, making it impossible for a woman or or a young girl who's been raped uh, to get an abortion. Um, and, and the question was posed to Greg Abbott, the governor. And his answer to this about rape was that, well, we're going to just eliminate rape as a crime in Texas. It's not going to be any rape, so there won't be a problem. There won't be anyone who is raped, therefore there won't be any need for abortion. Well, Texas is has the highest number of rape victims in the nation. It, more, more than California, which is a much larger state and has millions more people. And these, this is the kind of ludicrous answer that's being given to any, any legitimate questions about what is the effect of these laws. The people who put these laws in place don't care what happens as a result of these laws. They don't care. They don't think about it. It's not a concern. They don't intend, They don't have any intention of adopting any children born under these circumstances or providing services or helping mothers who are expecting these children. They have no intention of aiding any part of this. All they want is to protect the fact that some man did this to some woman and the woman has no choice. Yeah. So, yeah, looking at that map with all of our bordering states, Wisconsin, Iowa, North and South Dakota, putting bans or extreme restrictions on abortion, Minnesota is due to become a haven state where we are going to be the only place in a huge swath of the country geographically where someone can seek legal and safe health care. Unfortunately, uh, Keith Ellison, our attorney general, has also uh, been quite vocal in his support of uh protections for the people who come here as well. Trist, I was just going to say to your point, I believe Minnesota has about eight abortion clinics. Mm -hmm. So with folks coming from other states, it's going to be overwhelmingly really difficult for those providers to provide the best level of care, one that they can. We also have to consider capacity, um, but also what you were saying about people coming from out of state 
you know, are they going to be able to get to Minnesota to get to those clinics where they can receive that help? It's not just an economic decision. It is a religious or spiritual decision. I think if folks are married or in a committed relationship, sometimes it becomes a joint decision. It's not always an individual decision. Um, I just think there's just so many factors. And to think that a big state like Minnesota only has eight clinics that just strikes me as like really, really sad and yeah. a huge challenge for yeah. us. So right now, clinicians and abortion advocates in Minnesota say patients are regularly waiting about two weeks to get appointments in those eight clinics here in Minnesota. And if you start looking at the different bands that are in place, um, first of all, if you don't know pregnancy math, let me just uh, put that out there. By the time you are four weeks pregnant... That is, you've, you're two weeks past your missed period, okay? So, so you have to subtract two weeks of knowledge from any of this. Pregnancy math, I can tell you, as a recent, reg, recently pregnant person is ridiculous. So if you're looking at somebody who is trying to get in for a first trimester abortion, and if they are delayed two, three weeks, suddenly they might not be legally allowable just because all of the appointments are filled, and it becomes into a real access of we don't have enough providers, we don't have enough clinics to support the need for this health care here in Minnesota. So by adding all of these other uh, residents who are going to need to come seek safe and legal health care here in Minnesota, we are going to be looking at some incredibly long wait times and the need to support clinicians in the work that they're doing. One of the things that I heard also very recently is the idea that persons who are pregnant should immediately get a prescription if they need it, or at least get access to the medication that might um, allow them to have an abortion. So in other words, even if they don't need it, maybe they can then provide it to someone who does. And that uh, this is a a really uh, reasonable option for people. This is a way for women to help other women who may need this. Um, and I don't know enough about it. I wish I knew more. But I think this is something that needs, this is the kind of information that people really need. Yeah. It's accessible by mail at a company called Just the Pill. Oh, good for you. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, did you know that medication abortion is the option? It's the option for up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. And it involves taking two pills. And it's actually um, the the largest form of abortion here in the U.S. In 2020, 54% of all abortions were done by a, a done by medication or by pills. Um, and again, that's available online at justthepill.com for $350. And I think in terms of if folks are wanting to donate to places specifically in Minnesota, they can go to ourjustice.net or to abortionfunds.org, because as you mentioned, the price of those pills, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's some great nonprofits working in Minnesota, as well as NARAL, N-A-R-A-L, um, unrestrictminnesota.org. You know, they have those funds set up where you can donate money for folks that are not able to pay for those pills that they can gain access So I think that's an option as well. Even if you are not someone that thinks that this is something that, you know, really affects you, I think we all know that there are people very close to us, family, friends, that maybe haven't told us that they've sought these services before, but they are in financial need. So look to see what uh, nonprofits, what organizations, what businesses in your communities are raising funds to help provide options for other people. 
Great. All right. Now that we've sort of shared our reaction from the past week, I'd love to hear from you guys. Have you seen any responses to this ruling, positive or negative, uh, that have really uh, captured your eye? Maybe some online memes or things you're recurring hearing from your friends and family. Um, uh, I've seen a couple. I've seen one reaction that I really, really loved, and I've seen one reaction that I'm not so keen on. Um, but I'll really start with yesterday. I had the privilege of attending, um, an event for pro-choice candidates who are running for office either for the first time or for reelection. And I have to tell you watching these 85 to hundred women all march down this room together as they are, um, announcing to the world that they are running for office because they are a pro-choice woman. I got to tell you guys, I, I, I teared up and I'm, I'm kind of, a I'm, I'm more on the stone cold side around things. So uh, it really brought a tear to my eye to think about these are the folks, these are the women that we're looking to elect uh, because they have the opportunity to protect us and save our democracy. And it really struck a chord with me and it helped me move past anger into ready to act. I will say one thing that I saw that I hadn't thought about is sample letters to the editors. So I've seen like a lot of different community groups, websites on social media that are creating templates for people if they don't know what language to use, that, you know, they're giving them the option on what to say and how to submit it to like local newspapers or even to larger newspapers like Washington Post, the New York Times, Chicago Tribune. So I think that is something that was really surprising that I think is often um, overlooked is those letters to the editors that also can be sent electronically and be printed out for digital access. I think it's really important because the the voice of the people is is what is listened to, oddly enough, in Washington and other places here in St. Paul, the capital. Um, individual voices that are not, that don't belong to officials or or lobbyists or, or anybody with official capacity like that um, are listened to probably a, a lot more than um, than anyone else's. And, it, and if you can put your voice behind this issue, I think it's really important. Um, the thing that hit me, and, and you probably have all seen this, or, or if you haven't, you might look for it online. There is a scene from The Handmaid's Tale TV program that shows a mother in a car with a young girl who is her daughter. And uh, they are stopped uh, by police. And the policeman asks for the mother's identification and so on. And she gives it to her, to, to the policeman and looks at, over at her daughter. And uh, then they ask the daughter's name and they ask them where they're going. And the mother says, well, we're just out for a drive. And so, of course, it's clearly late at night. Um, and the, the girl looks very nervous. So the policeman says, are you seeking an abortion? And then they make them get out of the car, and clearly they're going to arrest them because they're not allowed to cross state lines, or in this case probably into Canada or wherever they were headed, um, in order for the girl to have an abortion. And uh, it's a really shocking scene because now it especially it has a lot of extra meaning. Because in some states, this could be reality. Um, one of the things that uh, is being said um, by President Biden and by governors and so on like ours is that no one is going to be prosecuted um, for crossing our state lines. Uh, they're not going to allow that to happen. But this is reality, and it's really shocking to think that this, what used to be considered science fiction, um, is now um, a current reality. 
for and it's and it's going to be right in our face, unfortunately. So that's that's really hit me hard. I have uh, I have a daughter. I have four granddaughters. Um, this is really big. It's really big, and and it's scary as heck. Yeah. And Vicky, did you see anything or hear anything from your friends and family that kind of made you sad or or disappointed you that it's the sort of out there? Uh, uh, any sort of reactions that uh, didn't hit so well with you? Well, my daughter was very upset. She was the one who told me that this happened, that, that the uh, decision had come down. She texted me right away. And um, and so for her little girls are still little enough that maybe this is their future uh, is, hasn't quite been written yet uh, by any means. But uh, it's it's really it's really rough. Um, and I don't know anybody who's not mad as heck. And um, I, I think that that's the number one thing for us to do is to channel that anger into action. As you said at the beginning, uh, this is the most important thing for us to do. We have to know how these uh, legislators uh, in our state stand on this issue. Every single legislature, legislator, who, whether incumbent or running for office, needs to be asked this question. How do you stand on choice? And, and um, they have to give the right answer to get a vote. And we have to vote for the people who give us the right answer. I think we also need to be voting for the people that want to move us forward in the right direction for history. If we look at the United States history and how women have been treated, and I'll speak in particularly as a black female with forced sterilizations um, and where health care was for black women not very long ago, we still have a long way to go for Latinx women, for indigenous women, for all women of color. But we have to look to see what the federal government has done in the past to show us why we are back to where we were then. And what are the states going to do moving forward? Because Vicki, as you mentioned, and Trista, this is really all about action and deciding to make the right decision to move us forward in women's rights, to move us forward in access to health care, to move us forward in putting pressure maybe on insurance companies to see it how to see how they look at this, to move us forward in the court system to see how they are treating parents or if there's a case of incest, a case of rape, a case of any sort of like sexual or domestic violence, just to vote for people that are going to move us forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, we even saw that right in the uh, opinion that the Supreme Court put out. They quote, back to the states. They're putting this issue back to the states. That means Minnesota, with the protections that we have, we are one election away from losing not only this right, but what other rights are next on the Republican docket. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what they are. It's trans rights. It's LGBTQ families. It's adoption by um, non-biological parents. Like, these are the things that Republicans are coming for. It's same-sex marriage, too. It's same-sex marriage. This is just the very start. This is not their end goal. This is the beginning. And and for me, I am so ready to move into action. I, I spent the last five days, like I've said, in anger, and I am ready to get out there and support. And I know we've been talking about some different resources throughout our conversation, but I, I would really love if we could just if other folks are with us and they're ready to move into that action stage, what folks can steps take that they want to do if they want to help and what can they be asking their friends and family to join them in doing? And I would say the first thing that you can do is start saying abortion and abortion is health care. Abortion is not a shameful word and we should not be talking about, uh, we should not be softening our language. We should be standing up for what we believe in and we should be out there talking about the issues that matter to us. So when we are talking about abortion rights, we are talking about health care rights and access to free and legal and safe health care. 
Do you all have, sorry, that was really intense. Do you all have some other ways that people could be getting involved? Uh, but I totally understand if you guys aren't with me and you aren't ready for action yet today. Like I said, I know there's seven stages of grief and I've moved through, I think, all of them. Um, uh, but if folks are ready for action, uh, what are the other things that they could be doing? I think they should sign up to volunteer with the DFL party. You can sign up at dfl.org slash defend abortion to donate financial resources and or to donate your time. Also, as a director of voter protection, we have the voter protection hotline is live now. Call us at 1-833-335-8683. Also, look at our opportunities to volunteer with voter protection at dfl.org slash voter hyphen protection. Sign up. Well, I think that there's two things that people can do locally as well. And, and the most important thing is to volunteer to help the state legislature candidates uh, in your area, especially if they're in a competitive district. If there's a chance that we can make, turn over the Senate, get our majority, keep our majority in the House, it's going to make all the difference for backing um, our governor when he's reelected. Or in worst case scenario, if our governor is not reelected, which would be a disaster. So we have to we have to win the House, we have to win the Senate, and we have to win the governor seat once again. We have to help Angie Craig. Oh Make yeah, sure we hold Minnesota too. I used to live in CD two. Love Angie Craig. There's no no better candidate to support at this point. She is in a very tough race, and she is wonderful, uh, wonderful candidate. I would also add that if you're already on our website at dfl.org slash defend abortion to volunteer, we also have a great online store that has some beautiful uh, pro-choice and pro-abortion um, merchandise, shirts and things that you can get out there to start uh, making that word less scary for folks. Those are some really great ways to get involved and it's just the tip of the iceberg, but that is it for our main segment today. We're going to take a short break and then head into the You Betcha and OGs. All right, and welcome back to the show. We're going to head into the You Betchas and OGs. So, Simone, what is your You Betcha this week? My You Betcha goes to Senator Raphael Warnock. Oh, You Betcha, yeah. Yeah. He is a pro-choice pastor running for re-election in my mother's great home state of Georgia. I'm excited to see what he will do, and I think it's great to have pro-choice individuals in religious and faith communities. So I look forward to seeing how other pastors, spiritual leaders, Others respond to the issue of abortion and termination services. And what is your OGs this week? You know, I don't really have an OGs this week. I think it's too easy to focus on the negative and to focus on everything that the country is not doing right. All of my energy and focus is at the ballot box. I'm excited to see what is going to happen in November in all 50 states, how we're going to reelect Democrats up and down the ticket in Minnesota. So... My OGs is OGs. They're not elected yet. Nice, nice, nice. I'm glad someone brought the positivity today because I did not. All right. And uh, Vicki, what's your you betcha this week? Got to be the January 6th committee. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. Their surprise hearing today uh, really, really brought the news. Um, and I can't wait to go home and, and uh, really dig into a little more of it. Uh, but we saw enough clips today for me to realize that uh, the room where it happened uh, is is very um, 
germane to what was being testified to today. And uh, I imagine the former guy is just a little upset, and that makes me really pretty happy. And how about your OGs? Overeating ice cream. Oh, geez. It's really about comfort eating, and it's summer, and it's been hot and horrible. And uh, the the more horrible the news is lately, and the more depressing, the more I crave ice cream, oh, butter man. pecan, any kind. It doesn't matter. I love it all. I feel I like I have to admit that. how many uh, Talentis I bought at the grocery store. Oh yesterday. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> Trista, tell us your You Betcha and your OGs for the week. All right. My You Betcha goes out to U.S. Senator Tina Smith. Oh, You Betcha, yeah. Yeah. Tina Smith introduced a bill to defend access to medication abortion, which we talked about a little bit earlier. In states where uh, a right to abortion is still protected. In the 20 years since its approval, the evidence has shown that medication abortion can be prescribed to patients without an in-person appointment. So in safe and effect, safe and effective for people to take in their own homes, which means you can receive it by mail. But right now, uh, Republicans are trying to put that access under attack as well, even for residents in safe states or in states that have legally protected rights. As we talked about, RU486 or mifeprestone is used for about uh, any abortion prior to 10 weeks, and it's more than 54% of abortions here in the U.S. It is completely safe and should be a viable um, male option for folks who need access to that health care. And then what's your OGs for the week? So... Uh, well, well, Simone, you kept it in check and were able to, to put in a positive spin on it. I had a really hard time choosing my OGs this week. My OGs goes out to Minnesota's 86 crisis pregnancy centers. Oh, geez. So that was heavy on the air quotes there with crisis pregnancy centers. Uh, Minnesota has one just about for every single county. And all told, they received $3.4 million in state funding Every year. Oh, geez. Now, I don't know if you know what happens at a crisis pregnancy center, but it's very little. Uh, generally, um, you can look at a por- reports online by a number of different organizations, but usually a woman is um, coerced into an ultrasound, told false medical information, usually told that she's further along in her pregnancy than she actually is, and then promised a whole ton of resources for her while she's pregnant. The problem is those resources all come to an end the minute that baby is born. Then those folks who are generally may already have kids at home, may be unable to afford that child, or may have been seeking actual healthcare services that they were then not able to receive because they were misdirected to a crisis pregnancy center. And you can be misdirected to these centers in any number of ways, whether it's billboards or um, search engine optimization when you're actually seeking um, abortion healthcare services. It's really important important that we stop the funding to these 87 or 86 um, pregnancy centers. And in fact, Scott Jensen's running mate, Matt Burke, did a nice little tweet about them the other day, and he got a lot of details wrong. And it's a really unfortunate that people are out there believing that we have all these wonderful centers to help people out. But unfortunately, all they're doing is deceiving women. If you do not want to be a part of the deceivers... Again, go to dfl.org slash defend abortion. Great. Thank you, Simone and Vicki, for joining me. I sure appreciate our opportunity to take over the podcast tonight. <laughs>